Great, thank you, Jillian. Super. Thanks so much. Um, of course, um, Chloe had informed me to say that Redeemer Kids, it's your time. So Chloe's at the back with her wonderful team and their lovely bright colored hoodies. So if you're part of Redeemer Kids, um, go and join them. They're going to take you down now. Um, for the rest of us, dare I say it, this perhaps is the first time that these words have been uttered in this building. I think it's a bit too warm. Um, usually, like, Redeemer Prep 101 involves digging out your thermals and an extra scarf just in case, because you might actually come and be able to see your breath in the building, even when it's just the end of September. But this morning, thankfully, there's heat in the building, and it's wonderful. It's great. It's really good to see you all. I'm, I'm really glad to be back worshipping with my church family, with you guys, and um, it's really great for Beth and Baby Owen to be out too. I'm sure you'll get to meet them at the end. We're doing well, albeit with less sleep. I'm looking at John, he knows exactly what that's like, but yes, we're doing well, and it's a real joy to be back uh, with you. The last, last few years have been, uh, for all of us, kind of exhausting. I've really felt it a special time for me personally. I've been really feeling very grateful for the time off just the last two or three four weeks um, to spend with Beth and Owen. So I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. I really thank the other senior leaders for releasing me to have that time and uh, for, the, for the directors too to, to release me to have that time. Really thankful for my friend John Perrine, who's been preaching and leading our community over the last four weeks. I trust that has been edifying, encouraging, um, helpful, um, and hopefully at some stage we'll see John and Jenna again. They're wonderful people, and hopefully they'll be with us again at some point. And uh, yeah, and we've been really blessed, Beth and I, over the last few weeks with a fridge full of meals we're trying to get through with some lovely gifts and cards, and we really appreciate that. Um, so thank you. It's uh, September, and it's around this time usually in church life, in my experience anyway, when summer holidays are over and the school calendar kicks up that churches and our church, Redeemer, have had a, a Sunday we call Vision Sunday, you know, a Sunday where we sp kind of spell out what the next 12 months might be. Um, some of those have been really wonderful times. Others of those have been, I suppose, kind of just times that you, I guess maybe hyped up a little bit, and that's the byproduct of being a church plant and trying to figure it out over uh, the first few years and then being a young church, um, this thing called Vision um, but yet vision is really important, um, despite how we market, despite how we celebrate it, despite whether there's confetti or balloons or a Sunday that we call Vision Sunday. Vision itself is really important, and perhaps it's not quite as complicated as perhaps we sometimes think it is. Perhaps it doesn't need to come perhaps with incredible strategies or blueprints. Um, seeing, revelation, vision. That's what I suppose I want to talk about today, but in a different way. Um, we've begun those important conversations last month, and we're going to have another uh, on Tuesday week that Gillian just announced, these conversation nights that we're uh, creating some space to help our community breathe a little bit, to help our community look forward, to help our community, help us to discern together, in the spirit together, which is what the church does and has always done, to discern together what our next steps are, what is God saying to us, and uh, what is God calling us to here and I think we here in this community have a wonderful opportunity for a fresh start. I think there's a really wonderful opportunity here for us to, 
to do just that, to learn and rely upon the Holy Spirit, what God might be saying, to have dependence on God, to trust in God, to have that humble, cultivating habit of listening uh, rather than always formulating or casting vision, but to listen to the Spirit's leading. I'm on, under no illusion that after all the last 18 to 24 months, the pandemic, and also after those two conversation nights that we held when we kind of shared uh, the ups and downs, the reflections and the learnings from our first 10 years as a church here, I'm under no illusion that we've got work to do, and we've got community to build, and we've got to connect again to one another. We've got mission to be on together. Community on mission is what the church is. And so we've got work to do there, of course we do, and I'm hopeful that we can do that and not overcomplicate that at all. But overall, I believe we can go again. We can learn again to be a community of brothers and sisters on mission in Belfast. That's essentially what the church is, a fellowship of brothers and sisters on mission together, and it so happens that we're in Belfast. So it's not rocket science. But this morning, I want to bring something that is, I guess, it is vision, but it's really simple. And it's a simple exhortation. So forgive me if it's too simple, but I think it's absolutely everything. And perhaps it's not about the what, and, and the, about the what of going forward. It's a little bit about the how we go forward, how we might move forward, how we might go together. And I actually think perhaps it's so profound that this is a kind of ultimate vision of what life is all about. So just close your eyes for just one moment. I just want to read this short uh, little paragraph. We'll just take a, a, small, a short moment to be still and to rest in the presence of God who's here and is with us. Scriptures teach that God's presence is with us. His presence inhabits our praises. When we worship, God is present and inhabiting that. And where two or three are gathered, he is present and he's here with us. And so it's very simple. At the center of this life that we're living, at the center of this story that we are part of, at the center of this faith that we have received, this huge reality of the cosmos and creation and the human race and the smallness of our own everyday particular lives and at the center of it all is this ultimate reality, this ultimate vision that is summed up in these three remarkable words. God is love. God is love. In these three words, we find the ultimate reality of the universe, that love, the energy, and the power that sustains everything and everyone. God is love, that love is the supreme force. It's the most powerful reality in the universe. Say those three words after me. God is love. You may open your eyes. 
feels a little bit like a Sunday school class, perhaps. It's that simple. God is love. Here's how 1 John 4 puts this. 1 John 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God. And those who love are born of God and know God. And those who do not love do not know God. Why? For God is love. It's kind of profound theology that's happening there in that passage. It seems simple. But I feel it's for us today. I'm going to offer it to us today. What is love? Just an emotion, perhaps, a sentimental sensation, a philosophical value that we can talk about. The Greek word in that first John 4 is agape, kind of the Hebrew equivalent hesed, which it kind of is like a, it's an unconditional moving toward, honoring of, an active engagement with the other, a person. Agape is the will to work for the good of someone. And that is who God is. God is love, which means that every experience we have of God is an expression of love. It's very simple, but James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Every experience we have of God is an experience of love. And in fact, if the scriptures are right and God is love, then not only is every experience of God an experience of love, but surely every experience of love is an experience of God, an experience of the divine. I guess we could put it this way. If you're looking for God today, if like Bono, you still haven't found what you're looking for, perhaps the question we should all ask is, where have I last seen love, experienced love, witnessed love, God is at work there. Every meal is an expression of God's love. Every good thing, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above the Father of heavenly lights, which means every meal, every breath, every sunset, every beautiful piece of music, everything in creation is this expression of God's love. Everything that is good, everything that is perfect is an expression of the love of God because God is love. It's simple here. It's simple. But this is Christian Orthodox theology 101. God is love. And I think perhaps we need to hear that today. I certainly do. So love is not confined or defined as an emotion or a feeling that is fleeting, not a series of chemical reactions in our brain, not a sentimental sensation or a philosophical value, but God is love, the divine. Hans Urs von Boltzar, I hope I pronounced that right, Swiss theologian, one of the most, I guess, certainly a very important Roman Catholic theologian in the 20th century. He wrote a, 
a really important piece called Love Alone is Credible, in which he says that God is not, in the first place, absolute power, but God is absolute love, absolute love. Please receive what I'm saying today just as a simple meditation on love. Just receive this truth today as a simple reflection on love, a simple meditation on love. But of course, God in his wisdom has made that love that is so vast. He has made it somewhat more concrete and more particular than anything that I have mentioned so far because we go further in that same passage in 1 John and we see that love is a person and we as Christians know Jesus as the revelation. There's a kind of knowing that we have that we have seen in the face of Christ, the face of God, that in Christ we have seen the divine, that Jesus is love incarnate. This love that is vast, fathomless, unconditional, overwhelming, is particularly concentrated in this person we call Jesus the Christ, love in the flesh, love in history, pure love walking among us in history. And John defines love like this. In that same passage, when he says God is love, he defines it like this. Quote, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is the Christian story that we have been, we've been singing about, that John and Matt and Caitlin have been leading us in. I guess I love that we were singing about the friendship of God. I have a, I have a friend, we have a friend here, in fact, he's been really good to us, Ian Galloway, over the years, a church leader, and he's just published a book. He's a kind of an expert in the Gospel of John. He was a church leader, and I works, I think, in Oxford, Wycliffe Hall, I think, coordinating there. But he's written a book. It's just called Friendship with God. Friendship with God. And it's a study on how the book of John is simply, if you were to sum it up, it's about us becoming friends with God. And the subtext there is love, isn't it? The subtext of friendship is love. So John defines love like this. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So love has a particular shape. Love has a particular definition, not an emotion, not a philosophical value, not a sentimental sensation, but love is cross-shaped. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Love is, love is sacrificial. Love is cruciform. Love is selfless. Love is selfless act. What sounds like a child's answer to a Sunday school question is perhaps the most profound of ideas and realities in the universe, that God is love, that it's the ultimate reality, because love beyond anything else will last. Everything that is not good in this world will end. The scriptures teach us disease will end, sickness will end. But love lasts. Love will outlast everything. Love is the ultimate reality. And we are sustained by the love of God. We, we live, we move, and we have our being in God. 
John 3.16, really, again, we're getting Sunday school lesson today. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There is this motivation of God's love, this preceding motive to God sending Jesus the Son is his love, that he loved us so much that he gave, that he laid down his life, that he gave, that he sacrificed. Love flows out of the heart of God and we see it in the life of Christ who was given for us. God so loved the world, which means God loved and loves everyone, saints and sinners, the ungodly, God's enemies, you, me, all of our brokenness, all of our sin. God loves us. Surely is that's why we're here. We've experienced at some point in our journey, we've experienced the love of God. We've experienced the grace of God. We've experienced this supreme force of the universe where judgment did not come our way, but love came our way, grace came our way, forgiveness came our way, mercy came our way. And as Christians, we see it in the face of Christ. That God so loved the world, he gave us his only son. I want you to know today, as simple as this may be, that God loves you. God is love. And in fact, I trust that even this morning as we've been worshiping, as you're here today, that the Holy Spirit would be speaking to you and encouraging you and revealing to you, in fact, maybe drawing you into an encounter again with the love of God for you, for your life, how unconditional that is. My hope is that I and my family and each of you in this room, that we would be so overwhelmed with what theologians, lovers of God, have called the belovedness. And that this community would be a community of belovedness, a place of brothers and sisters who have encountered the radical love of God and can celebrate that in every meal and every sunset and particularly in our brother and our friend and our savior Christ and all that he's done for us. This is such good news that God is loved changes everything. It has reset the course of history. It has reshaped the whole axis of this world onto an axis, not of violence, but of love. Not of retribution, but of love. God loves us because he loves, because he is love himself. It's in his very nature to love. We did not earn his love, but through grace, we have been loved in Christ. This is good news. This is the gospel. And all of this has been accomplished through this love which is credible. Love alone is credible. And the power of love flows outwards, which means that love will change the world one person at a time. Love will change the world by changing our worlds one person at a time. Love will change the world by changing us first. If we want to change the world, we need to let love change us. We need to experience the belovedness. And we need to do that in community, as a community of belovedness. The profound revelation that we've been reflecting on this morning, 
the game-changing revelation. Let's call it a vision, why not? A fiery vision that God is love. It's a deep, far-reaching truth that is at the very center of our faith. And I think it ultimately defines the kind of community, as I've been talking about, that we are working to be here, brothers and sisters in Christ who love one another, which leads to my second point. If the first point was simply God is love, the second point is love each other with the same love. As we've been saying today, God is love and gave himself for us, sustains us in love, operates in love, and everything that is good is an expression of his love and the exhortation for us today, for the church throughout the centuries, but for us today, on the 26th of September, 2021, in Belfast, is this, as his people, as his church, is to love in, with the same love, is to operate with the same love. Let me just read that passage from earlier, but let me extend it because I did not read it in full. First John 4 says this, this is how we know what love is, that Christ, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That Jesus laid down his life for us, and so we should now lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Sorry, that's First John three sixteen, not First John 4. In stark contrast to the pagan gods and to the heroes of his day, Jesus of Nazareth chose not the path of strength, of ego, of military might, and of force, but he came as a servant. He came to wash people's feet. He came to listen to men, women, and children. He came to love and to heal and to touch the lepers and the outcasts. He came to forgive sins. He came to remove needless pain that we carry. He came to bring friendship with God. He came to bring us to the Father. And he came ultimately not in strength like a warlord, but to lay down his life for his friends through a sacrificial death on a Roman cross. That's the shape of love. And so in the person of Jesus, we have the wisdom of God confounding us because it's not God operating in fear. If you've heard that God operates in fear, if you're fearful of God, that is not God. God is love, not fear. Perfect love casts out fear, the scriptures say. And in coming, Christ not only laid down his life for his friends, but he showed us that love is the way, that love is the example. Jesus sums up the whole of the law by saying this, whole of the law, the whole of the law, massive, theologically debated for centuries. He just sums it up like this in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mic drop. In John 13, Jesus said, a new command I give to you. Speaking to his disciples, he says this, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Which makes me wonder why all those hyped up Vision Sundays 
and party poppers because Jesus himself says that the world will know us not because we bang the drum the loudest, but because we love one another. Maybe this is more simple than we've made it. Love is the ultimate reality. There are some things that can only be said in a poetic way. Philippians 2 achieves this. Because here in Philippians 2, another passage, we have a very early statement of Christian faith about who Jesus was and what he accomplished. And with it, St. Paul gives the deep groundwork for this self-sacrificing unity within the church. If this is the way we're to work, if this is the way we're to live, to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, to be self-sacrificial, to think of others, Paul lays out the groundwork for it here because in Philippians chapter two, Paul says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. But I am struck by this passage just a few verses before that where Paul says this, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, the same love, having the same love, having the same love, having talked about Christ and how Christ came in his humility lay down his life for his friends. Paul then exhorts us as the church, as brothers and sisters, to have the same love. That love has not only saved us, but love is the way we are to walk. Love is the way we are to live out. Love is the way. Love is the way. So we as the church followers of Jesus, we are to follow Christ's example by having the same love that he had for us the same love that he has for this world, the same love that the father had for the prodigal son, the same love that the father has for all his children, kind, compassionate, sacrificial, selfless love. This is the way of Jesus, and it's beautiful, and it's simple, and it's probably really hard too, but it's what we are invited into because it's the way that leads to full life. I'm gonna finish just by saying this, Redeemer, that we're kind of embarking on a bit of a moment with church life. We're having evenings of conversation and we're trying to figure out our next steps and we're discerning together. And we will do that. And the Spirit will lead us. And I trust that most of us, if not all, will come on that journey. But as we do that, as we discern together, as we practice what the church has done for centuries, as brothers and sisters, I want us to know, I want to frame this season of life by just sharing this simple, profound truth that God is love, that God has loved us in Christ and that we are to live in that love, that that love is the way we are to live and relate and that we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. No matter what happens, no matter where we're going, no matter where the Spirit leads us, no matter what the months look like ahead, that we live the way of love, the same love that Christ has shown us. And today, personally, for any of you in this room, if you're wondering today what all this is about, or you've dragged yourself to church today, or you're struggling, or you're carrying, as Steph highlighted earlier, needless pain, I want you to know that God loves you. 
And there's an invitation to know him. Not in a kind of cerebral way, but in a real way where the love of Christ is revealed to you. He loves you and he wants you and he's pursuing you and he will come with his peace and his comfort if you give your yes and that's all you have to give. I'd love to invite John and Matt and Caitlin to come and lead us in worship and I'd love to invite us all here to stand. I'd love to lead us to the table by reading another piece of scriptures. Please do stand. Yeah, put your masks on. It would be great. Just this week, I was listening to uh, another preacher preaching. Does my soul good to do that? And I'd never heard this before, but he referred to the the Lord's table or, or Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving, a meal of Thanksgiving. He referred to it as a love feast, that the communion, that the, the, the bread and the wine, the table of Jesus has been known as a love feast for his church. And just like we do every week, we're going to practice Eucharist. Give thanks to God today for his love and for revealing his love to us. So in a moment, we're going to do our thing, This is our click and collect, we come up. And we've got bread here, wine here. And I'd ask you to come and do just that. Click and then collect. Go back to your seat and just hold the bread and wine. Don't take it because I'd love us to take that together and, I guess, participate in this love feast together, celebrating Christ and all that he's done. But can I invite you just before John leads us, you can uh, keep playing, John. Um, I'd love you to close your eyes just one more time um, because all I'm going to do is just read... um, 1 Corinthians 13 because it's a meditation on love so let me just read it and I trust that it grabs you, trust that it inspires you, trust that that the spirit of God speaks to you and speaks to me too through this passage 1 Corinthians 13 says this if I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, because love never fails and now these three remain faith and hope and love but the greatest of these is love amen father god i thank you today for just drawing our attention simply again to the heart of the gospel the heart of reality itself which is the revelation that the divine that you god our Father, 
that you're a God of love. You're not a God of anger or vindication or retribution or violence, but you are a God of love. That you smile over us and that you invite us into your all-encompassing love. You sustain us by your love. Everything that we receive from you that is good is an expression of your love. And there is so many things that we are grateful for today. Not least today we give thanks for Christ Jesus, love incarnate, who gave his life for us, who showed us the way of love by going to a Roman cross, by laying down his life, by relinquishing power, by giving up. We thank you for Christ. We are not worthy of Christ today. We are not worthy of Christ. But we thank you for grace. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, would you increase the revelation, the knowledge of this love in each of our hearts. As we participate in the love feast with the bread and wine, may you show us a vision of your love for us. Individually and collectively, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. We're going to sing, and let me encourage you to come and take the bread and wine, and I'll come back after the song and lead us in our closing prayer. Hi, John.